Before 2003, there were a million and a half Christians living in Iraq. Today, only about 300,000. Many have fled, many put to death, but Pope Francis made history visiting the Middle East for peace. Never before has a pontiff visited Iraq, but Pope Francis, the current head of the Roman Catholic Church, has changed that. He arrived last Friday in Baghdad for this potentially dangerous visit to implore the Iraqi government to put an end to the persecution on those who claim the name of Christ. Protestants and Catholics certainly have their differences, don't get me wrong. But if this historic visit means fewer Christians die, I'll thank the Lord. Our Christian faith has deep roots in the Middle East. Our Messiah is a Middle Eastern Jewish man. The first churches were there. But along with those persecuted in Iraq, we long for the heavenly city, whose builder and maker is the Lord. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, here on Monday, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And we're starting a new series this week called Times That Changed the World. All this week... We'll be looking at key moments in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. I think we can all agree that the most significant moment in Christian history started at the cross. But there have been other world-changing events and people who have come along after the resurrection. Today, we're going to look at the birth of the Church after the cross. This is certainly the most foundational aspect of Christianity. Our faith is not a solo religion, but it takes place in community, a community of believers, a family of God, a body knitted together with Christ as our head. So may I invite you to stay with me, and let's hear how the Lord uses people like you and me to still build the most glorious organization of people on the face of planet Earth. After the program, I want to give you an opportunity to support our ministry. If you're new to Haven today, you might be surprised to learn that we are 100% listener-supported. And that's the way it's been since 1934, when we began broadcasting in Hollywood. And even though we're now heard all over the world, we've never had a major organization behind us. But we've trusted in the Lord, and He always provides. So as a thank you for your gift... I'd like to send you a copy of the new documentary called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. This feature film does a great job of showing how the kingdom of God was growing even in the face of persecution, and how God used sinners saved by grace to proclaim the good news in a powerful way. It's a God-entranced heart and a God-entranced stomach and a God-entranced ears and eyes and all of life and experience is God entranced. And they saw this is the joy and good news we're made for. And therefore, this is truth worth living and worth dying for. And if we are not ready and willing to lay down our lives for the truth of God, then not only is God being dishonored, people's eternal lives are being imperiled. Some excerpts from the film called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. Call us after this program and make your gift, would you, at 800 654 
3636 865 Haven or visit our website and watch an extended trailer for Puritan and then make your gift at haventoday.org haventoday.org and yes we still have copies of Dane Ortland's book Gentle and Lowly we have it in hardback as well as audio for your gift as well if you're desiring to know the heart of Jesus better then you need to read or hear this book right away now I want us to open with Dan Forrest and the Church's One Foundation.
great hymn, powerfully arranged by Dan Forrest and sung by the Beckenhorst singers, The Church's One Foundation, from an album out last year called Choir Hymns. And this is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris, and we're calling the program Times That Changed the World Today. All this week, we're looking at key moments, key events, key people in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ. As I said a moment ago, the most significant moment in Christian history had to start at the cross. But because we have more programming to come in the days leading up to Easter, let's agree on this. The cross is the number one event, the number one moment in time in Christian history. On these five days, though, this week, I want to start just after the cross, and this first program is on the birth of the church. Jesus died but was resurrected. Before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait, lay low, more to come. Your work is not over. And so came Pentecost, the broad arrival of the Holy Spirit to all who knew and who would know Jesus Christ. The theme for the church is best summarized in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The birth of the church, the beginning of Christian history, it was not an easy time. Yet people from all walks of life, all nations, all sorts of backgrounds began coming to this faith. Believers spent time in prayer and fasting and eating and fellowshipping together. They lived together and near each other, and their reaction was quick. There was the reaction of the Jews. Insurrection, heresy, put it down. You see their hatred of the Jews in a Greek inscription dated back to the first century and found on the balustrade separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple before it was destroyed in 70 AD. It reads, foreigners, meaning Gentiles, must not enter the balustrade or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught has himself to blame for his ensuing death. Jesus challenged this exclusionary message. In Acts, the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world. Peter preached to that mass crowd on Pentecost, there on the southern steps, leading up to the Temple Mount that remained today. Thousands were saved from a single sermon. The Jewish mikvahs, baptismal pools, below the steps that same day were used to inaugurate these new converts, who were all Jews at that point. Stephen was the first deacon. I quoted him last week as he was being stoned outside the city walls of Jerusalem, looking up, seeing heaven, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a long ways from the crowds spreading palms before the Messiah on a donkey riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a week before he died. And just after Stephen was martyred in Acts 7, there is this interesting line of more to come. And Saul, who would later become Paul, approved of their killing him. Violence and killing were rocking the young church of Jesus Christ, and yet it grew. It even flourished. Even Saul met Jesus in that dramatic vision when the Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, first recorded in Acts 9, a Jew among Jews. Paul would become the great evangelist to the Gentiles, the foreigners, but he also led Jews into the kingdom across the Greco-Roman world of the first century. He did so at great cost, even the cost of his life. 
And just before he died, as Acts closes, we have that sermon he preached to one of the Herods, preached in Caesarea by the sea, just north of modern-day Tel Aviv. The birth of the church was a significant moment in church history. What did these meetings of new believers look like? They met in houses, like in Jerusalem, led by the original apostles, sometimes in upper rooms where large meals could be taken together. They looked after each other. That's what Stephen did as a deacon. They baptized new believers. They took communion together. They prayed for each other and for this gospel to keep going forth to places like Antioch in modern-day Turkey, where followers were first called Christians or followers of the way. Paul would travel to a Greek city, go into the local synagogue, and preach the message of Christ crucified and resurrected. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Savior had come to forgive the sins of those who would repent. More disruption, more violence would break out. Jews held on to their old ways, but others met Christ. And when they moved out of the synagogue into a home, the Greeks or Gentiles would come and embrace this new faith for all the world. But it didn't always happen with the approach Paul took. Take Lydia, for example, in Acts 16. She was a God-fearer. She was a woman in business, a seller of purple, a hard-to-produce dyed cloth, but highly prized in the Roman world. When Paul first met her, she was leading worship down by the river with other women. There, outside Thyatira, Paul heard about her and were told her heart was opened to this message spoken by Paul, and another church was birthed. The Spirit was on the move. The life of Paul ends in Rome, where he was martyred. He knew it was coming. You get what's coming when you read the end of Acts. And the church in Rome would keep growing. Shortly after he died for his faith, and Jerusalem was sacked by a Roman army, Jews swelled into the Roman capital, and many of those Jews would embrace the faith, along with the Greeks who had already found Christ. It would be years before church buildings were built. The larger homes of wealthy Christians were turned into houses of worship on the first day of the week. How do we know this? Because part of one of those early house churches remains, a place where I have visited. In the 230s A.D., a house was built in what is today northeast Syria, very close to the Iraq border. But it was centuries later, in the 1920s, when archaeologists from Germany and Yale University in America started digging in Dura Europus. They could date the house from pieces of pottery and Roman glass. They kept digging and learned the house was remodeled by the 240s A.D. By the art on the walls and the presence of a baptistry, like one of those Jewish mikvahs, they realized it was a house church, the earliest church ever found. Fortunately, for the sake of Christian history, they took great pieces of this church back to the Yale Museum in New Haven, Connecticut. You can see it, as I did when I was speaking for our radio station, WIHS, that serves Connecticut. Had they not done that, this first church would have been destroyed forever. For in the last ten years, ISIS swept through Duro Europus and destroyed all evidence of the city's past. Two other interesting mentions. If you ever visit the Yale Museum as I did, you'll find pieces of a Jewish synagogue located a few streets away from the very first church that remains. There's also a piece from the famous Ishtar Gate that Daniel passed through in ancient Babylon as Jews before Christ were led into exile. 
the birth of the church was a significant moment in church history. I'll never forget that day I was able to visit the oldest house church in existence from Juro Europus. History may not capture your attention like it does for me. Museums may not be your forte, but Christians have a rich beginning and one that we must not forget. Not long before he went to the cross, Jesus was passing with his disciples through another Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, northeast from the Galilee. And that's where he said in Matthew 18, On this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. What a message! What a Savior! While he was speaking to Peter, he was not referring to Cephas or Peter as the rock. He was telling us Christ is the rock on which my church is built. The stone the Jewish builders rejected. It was later in Matthew 21 that Jesus quoted Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, Yahweh, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The birth of the church is a significant moment in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer right now? Lord in heaven, we come to you and we thank you first for sending Jesus, your son, to die on the cross, to die for our sins, to pay for what we cannot pay, a free gift. We just need to claim that gift and ask for forgiveness of our sins. Lord, there's a long history to your church and I'm thankful that even on this day, we could look back to the historic founding of your church and houses, not grand buildings, not in cathedrals, not with pipe organs, not with praise bands playing, just houses where on the first day of the week, Christians would come from all over a village, a town or a city and would worship together, would take communion together. And new people would be welcomed into this faith in those church meetings as well. Lord, for those of us listening right now who've never come to the cross, who've never even maybe set foot in a church, a building or a house, Lord, may we come to the cross. May we get on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me. I need the blessing and the forgiveness of my sins. May we all do that again today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all and all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took our flesh, of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, to 
Keith and Kristen Getty sing that song they wrote so many times, but this time it included Alison Krauss in Christ Alone from the Getty's album, Hymns for the Christian Life. This is Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, and the first day in our series called Times That Changed the World. Earlier in the program, we heard some excerpts from the new documentary called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. The era that the Puritans lived in was... Definitely one of those times that changed the world. But so many of us really don't know who these Puritans were. In fact, many believe they were just dark and terrible people. But when you watch this new feature film, you'll see that they loved Jesus and enjoyed living for his glory. But something else I like about this documentary, it's very honest that they were sinners, saved by grace, just like you and me. They made mistakes just like you and me. But a good majority of them were all about Jesus. Would you make your gift to this ministry and we'll send you this double DVD set that includes the two-hour documentary, a bonus DVD with many extras, and a digital download. Here's the number to call right now. 800 
800-65-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. Or visit our website and watch an extended trailer for Puritan. And you can make your gift then at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And just before we go, let me remind you that we still have Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly in either the hardback book or the audio version for your gift as well. This special book will help you better understand the gentle and lowly heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow on Tuesday? When again, we'll share together not just church history, but the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. There's an old Latin phrase that captures the heart of the gospel in three words, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. The world was in utter darkness, clouded over with sin. Even our own hearts were darkened. Then the light of the gospel shined. Jesus himself told us, I am the light of the world. In John 8:12, anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. After darkness, light. Jesus Christ is that light, the light that exposes our sin and the light that drives it away. In his light, we don't just see ourselves clearly. We see the world as we should and the path that leads us back to him. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.